In this episode, I want to talk about why Jesus doesn't want everyone to be nice. You're listening to Onward in the Faith with Ray Burns. Ray is dedicated to equipping Christians to understand why they believe what they believe so that they can keep moving onward in their faith toward maturity in Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, visit patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. And make sure you visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. Now here's Ray with today's topic. Everyone listening to this episode probably knows what the golden rule is. In fact, I would even wager that people around the world, Christian or not, understand either the golden rule or the basic concept of it. Because really, the idea of treating others how you want to be treated, in a way, goes all the way down to what we teach our children at a basic level. We try to teach kids empathy by saying, if you wouldn't want someone to pull your hair, don't pull their hair. If you don't want someone pushing you down in the mud, don't do it to that other child. And so this idea of equal treatment or understanding how to treat others based on our preferences or our desires or our self-preservation is core to most of us just growing up in general. And so understanding that, in a way, it shouldn't be surprising that the Bible verse of treat others how you want to be treated is more or less understood by most people in America and probably most countries where Christianity has had an impact. And, you know, there's a belief out there that Jesus was just a good moral teacher and he just taught us how to live good lives and to be good people. And, you know, that's really beyond the scope of this episode. That might need to be a future episode. But, you know, as we read the Bible, as we get a better understanding of all the things Christ said, not just what he said, but why, what his whole purpose was, and really what our goal is as believers, we realize that if Christ is saying something, it's not to tell us to be good people because we're not good people. We are incapable of being good people. And so this whole idea of Jesus saying, well, treat others how you want to be treated, you know, be nice, kind of seems off with the character of who he is that we understand, at least biblically, when we are being responsible to the text. And so let's actually just read the verse itself. So it says in Matthew seven twelve. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. And now, sometimes within Christianity, but a lot of times perhaps outside of it, when we think of these words of Jesus Christ, we often transform them into something else. We use it as something superstitious. You know, if I treat someone bad, it's going to come back to get me. You know, we treat it as even karma, right? Do good to others, good will be done to you. Do bad to others, bad will be done to you. That's the whole idea of karma, is this idea of a balance. We may also turn it into something very selfish. We will say, well, if I help them out, they will help me out, or there's an expectation that they will help me out. You know, and if we think about what happens when others don't help us, when people don't give us the money that we ask for or don't show up to help us move or to build a deck or you know whatever when we get upset with people often our mentality is well I've done this for them I can't believe they wouldn't then do this for me and so we in a way without realizing it we're twisting the words of our savior we're saying that what he said is kind of a way to serve ourselves it's it's very selfish But if we just stop and just think on a very basic level, 
there's a fundamental reason why it doesn't make sense that Christ is just telling people, hey, be nice, treat others how you want to be treated. And that's because when we do that, we are saying that Christ is calling everyone to a certain behavior. He's saying that everyone is not only capable of this, but should do this. And the problem there comes when we realize that the only thing that Christ has called all people to is repentance from sin and turning to him and trusting Christ as their Savior from their sin. Beyond that, Christ doesn't call all people to do really anything. And so when we realize that, we realize that this idea of telling an unbeliever, you know, an atheist or a Buddhist or what have you, to treat others how you want to be treated because that's what Christ says, it doesn't make a lot of sense because anyone can do that with the motivations we often attach to it. And by that, I mean that it doesn't take a follower of Jesus Christ to say, well, I'd want someone to help me, so I'll help them. Or, you know, I don't want something bad to happen to me, so I'm going to help a homeless person. I'm going to give them money or I'm going to donate my time at, you know, a food bank or things like that, you know, because I want to either avoid something bad or I want to kind of store up some kind of good blessing or good karma for myself. You know, that is fundamental to who we are as human beings. We are inherently selfish, and that's really what our motivations are when we think that way, is that I'm going to do this good thing, not because it's inherently good, but because I want to serve myself. Either I want to feel good about myself, I want to avoid something bad happening to me, or I want to invest in some future good by giving my time or my money now so that I can reap benefits later. Again, that's not a Christian concept. That's Ultimately, that's our sin nature, right? We are serving ourselves. And only those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ can serve God. So if we start and say, well, how is Christ calling Christians to do this, to treat others in a way that we'd want to be treated? How is that unique to us? What is it about who Christ is, who God is, or who we are that would allow us to do something that no one else could do? And so when we get past this idea of the golden rule is just our motivation to be selfish or to focus on ourselves or to empathize with people only insofar as it serves us, if the golden rule isn't about morality, why is Christ saying what he's saying? Now, two episodes ago, I had an episode on therefore, the word therefore, and why it is so critical to our Bible reading. And at the end of that episode, I gave you Matthew 7.12 as your homework, and I encourage you basically saying, because you understand what therefore means when we see it in the Bible, now read Matthew 7.12 and figure out what the therefore is there for. So I would encourage you, if you're listening now, to go and listen to that episode. It's one of my shorter episodes, which is very impressive, uh, but if you have listened to it and need a refresher, or if you just want to plow on ahead, either way is fine. I'll just give you a quick crash course in what I discussed. So basically, when we see the word therefore in the text, that is our signal that something has just been said that leads us to the conclusion we're about to make. So here, when Christ is saying, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, What he's saying is, because of what I've just said, because of what we've just learned, here's what this means for you. Here's how we should understand it. Here's how it should affect our lives. And so understanding that, when we see this word therefore, we know that we can't just start at this verse, because therefore is the second half of any thought that's being made. 
And so when Christ is saying, therefore, we need to stop and say, okay, where is he coming from? What point is he just making? What foundation has he laid that's leading him to say what he's about to say? And so as responsible readers and people who want to read the Bible well so that we can truly understand what it says and not just what we think it says, we need to rewind. Now, sometimes, like if you're reading in the book of Romans, you have to rewind all the way back to Romans chapter 1, verse 1. But fortunately here, the reason that Christ is saying, therefore, doesn't require us to go back that far. It actually only requires us to start back a few verses. And so let's just take a look at the context of why Christ is saying what he's saying in verse 12, and really what point he is making overall, because this whole treating others thing isn't just about being a good person, as we're going to see. So let's see what it really is talking about. So as always, I would strongly encourage you to grab a Bible, open it up on your phone, check it later, because I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to be able to see the words of God and what he's revealed in his word for yourself so that you can understand the process that we're going through. But podcasting being what it is, I assume that most people are just going to listen anyway, but I'll trust that you'll do the Berean thing and go and check me later. So let's continue. So if we go back to Matthew chapter 7, which is the chapter we're already in, and if we go back just five verses back to verse 7, so Matthew 7, 7, Christ starts by saying, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? And so here, we've got Christ laying kind of a foundation of how God interacts with us, how he responds to us. So Christ is starting with really what is almost a promise, where he's saying that if you seek God, if you seek understanding, if you ask God for something and it's good, he will give it to you. And here Christ ends this thought by really comparing God to a father, a human father, who says, if you have a, a man who's a good father or a woman who's a good mother, they're not going to respond to their child's request for bread by giving them a stone, right? They're not going to have a child coming up to them and saying, hey, can I have a fish? And the parent responds with, no, but here, have a snake. You know, a good parent is going to give good things to their children. And Christ then goes on to really clarify this. He, he kind of summarizes his whole point in comparing God to a human father and saying that if you seek God, if you seek good from God, he will give it to you. And so in Matthew 7, 11, he says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? And now we need to pause here and not get distracted, because if you know anything about the prosperity gospel, this idea that, you know, if you sow blessings, if you, you know, give money to the church, or if you put in time, God will give stuff back to you. And they will use passages like this, where it says that God gives good to those who ask him. We want to make sure that we're not mudding the waters and separating this thought from everything else that's happening because this verse about God gives good, the Father gives good to those who ask, this isn't just on its own, just like the golden rule is not on its own. His point here goes all the way back to what Christ started by saying, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find. 
it also leads to the golden rule. So this matters. And we need to understand that when Christ is talking about God gives good to us, that's not that he gives us our wants. He gives us our needs. And that's why he's talking about God in terms of a earthly father, because that's something that we understand. You know that as parents, when we're on our better days, no parent is perfect, obviously, but as a parent, when a parent's on a good day, when they are truly honoring God with their parenting, they won't give their child everything their child asks for. You know, if a child asks for a butter knife to shove in the electrical socket, just because that child thinks that will be fun or cool or interesting doesn't mean that the parent is going to give it to them. In fact, if the parent loves them, they will not give them that thing they need or they they think they need. And so when we understand God in that way, we realize that, you know, God is good. He is beyond good. He is so much greater than us. He is the definition of good. He sets the pace for what good looks like. You know, God, he is more loving than us. He is more knowledgeable than us. He has a better understanding of the present as well as our future. And he is so much more capable of caring for us than we are of our own children. And so here, you know, Christ is pointing out that, you know, God is going to supply all of our needs. He's not going to fail us. He's not going to abandon us. He's not going to be mischievous or cruel and say, oh, I know you need this, but I'm going to deprive you of it. You know, the Bible says that every good gift comes from above. That means that if there's good gifts, they're from God. And if they're from God, they are good gifts. And so we need to realize that, you know, what God does or doesn't give us is a good thing. We may think we need it. We may really want it, but that doesn't mean that God is obliged to give it to us. Just like as a father, I'm not obliged, or I should say obligated, to give my daughter a butter knife to shove in the socket. She may want it. She may think that not getting it is a good reason to have a meltdown. But because I love her, I'm not going to give her that thing that she so desperately thinks she needs. And I want to also point out another picture that we get of God that Christ isn't explicitly saying as much here, but it's critical to us understanding the golden rule. Because what we need to understand about God as a father is that in a perfect setting, a parent's love for their child exists simply because that's their child. It's not dependent on the child's behavior. It's not motivated by, oh, well, my child has done this much good, so I'm going to treat them with this much good. You know, there are times, of course, when a parent has to discipline their child, just like there's times God has to discipline us. But that discipline is because without it, we see the danger that our child is heading towards. We see that without correction, they're heading towards some form of destruction. And God sees us the same way. Because God loves us, he is going to discipline us. And he doesn't do it because, oh, I'm so mad at them, I want to hurt them. He does it because he 100% loves us. He loves us when we are obedient, and he loves us when we're disobedient. His interaction with us certainly has to change, but that's because our behavior either allows him to treat us well or his behavior allows him to treat us well through discipline. You know, and I have another episode where I talked about how you can't make God love you less. And my whole point there was that God's love for us is always 100%. That it's not about how we act or what we do or even how much we obey that determines God's love and patience for us. God is infinitely good, he is infinitely loving, and he is infinitely patient. And because of that, even though he is infinitely just and infinitely righteous and must punish sin, that's why he sent Christ. He sent Christ because he loves us, because 
He doesn't want everyone to perish. He gave us a means of having kind of the best of both worlds. We have a God who punishes sin, who, who pours out his wrath rightly for the evil and the wickedness that we do. But then he also fills his love for us in getting to treat us as though we'd never sinned. And all of that's wrapped up in Jesus Christ because God poured out his wrath on Christ so that he could pour out his love on us. That's how good our God is, and it has nothing to do with us, who we are, or what we do. It's purely because God is God. He treats us the way he treats us for no other reason than because that's how he chooses to treat us. He doesn't treat one person better than another based on their merit or their value or where they were born or what they look like or what their gender is. And that might seem like I just went off on a really random tangent, but it's actually critical to us understanding the golden rule because— As I have always said, and as I will always say, God doesn't care what we do. God doesn't just want everyone to be really nice. He doesn't care about that. Those people who are always nice and always follow the golden rule, they're still going to hell. Their standing, their position before God, the payment for their sins, is completely untouched by everything they do. Because no matter how nice you are, no matter how good you are, even no matter how much you obey the Old Testament law, it doesn't matter if your motivation is wrong. And that's why I say God doesn't care what you do, but why you do it. And so when we look at the golden rule, we treat it as, like we call it, a rule, even though it's not even called the golden rule. That's just what we've assigned to it. But we treat it as a rule by saying, if I do this, then I'm fine. You know, we treat it like a traffic law. You know, if I stay in the speed limit, I am good in the eyes of the police or the law or what have you. It doesn't matter why we obey the speed limit. It doesn't matter if we obey it because we want to stay within the confines of the law or are we obeying the speed limit because we are carrying illegal merchandise in our trunk and don't want to get pulled over and have the cops be suspicious. You know, our motivation for obeying the traffic laws doesn't really matter as long as we do them. But that's not how God works. God wants us to obey And to do things out of a pure motivation to love him, to glorify him, and to serve him. Not so that we can get something, but because we've already gotten something. We have God. We have Jesus Christ as our Savior. He is our King. And because of that, we want to do things. We want to act. We want to obey. And so, understanding all of that, I want to go back and I want to reread where we're at in Matthew and then just lead right in to what we call the golden rule, Matthew seven twelve. So going back to the beginning, he said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. So, up till now, we've gotten this big picture of context. We've seen what Christ is saying and how this whole treating people thing finally comes about. And so, if... Being kind to others is the golden rule, then I think we can say that being kind to others out of a love and gratitude and adoration of God is our golden motivation. 
And by that, I mean how we treat others isn't based on some weird Christianized idea of karma or just being a good person. We are kind to others because God has been so kind to us. God doesn't look at us and say, I'm going to treat you a certain way because of how intelligent you are or how much money you make or how you look or what you've done for me. God doesn't treat us that way. God treats us without any requirement simply because we are his creation, because he loves us. And in that same way, that is how we need to look at others when we're considering how to treat them. When we see a person and we say, is that a human being made in the image of God? If yes, then we treat them with 100% love and respect and care and kindness and a desire to save their soul, not because of who they are, but because of what they are, because they are a human being made in the image of God, but possibly on their way to hell. And out of love for them, we want to treat them with all the love and respect that we can muster. You know, And that's why the abortion issue is so important for us as Christians to not roll over on, because If the unborn are human beings, and I've got several articles talking about why they are absolutely human beings from the moment of conception. If they're human beings, they deserve to be protected. They deserve a life. They deserve to be loved and protected, not because of how they look, not because of how big they've grown or how much they look like a baby, but simply because they are human. They are made in the image and likeness of God. And so as we consider this whole idea of treating others how we want to be treated, we we have to realize that. God isn't giving us a promise or some kind of guarantee or telling us to invest in some kind of karmic bank because, you know, I worked retail for several years. I know that people aren't going to just be nice to you to be nice to you. You know, anyone who's worked any kind of retail or I assume uh, food service job knows that you don't get rewarded for being kind to people and you shouldn't expect to be rewarded for being kind to people. And that's not what Christ is calling us to. He's not calling us to be nice because of what we can get or because we want what we want to avoid. We are called to be kind to others because our God is so kind to us. And what's amazing is if we think about it, God is even kind to his enemies. You know, it's it's easy for us to be kind to those who, you know, are our brothers and sisters in Christ or those who are nice to us. But, you know, you think about how God treats those who spend every day hating him. You know, whether it was us before our day of salvation or whether it's people who will die in their sin, you think about all the goodness and the kindness that God gives to so many of his enemies. I mean, he gives them 60, 70, 80 years sometimes on this earth before they go and have to wait for judgment and then spend an eternity in the judgment that they've earned. You know, God gives us good food to eat and not just his children, but his enemies, You know, God gives us good friends and maybe even a good spouse and children. You know, God gives good things regardless of how we treat him, clearly. I mean, he gives 80 years to people who spend those 80 years hating him and mocking him and just loving sin. I mean, that's beyond kindness. That is a kindness we cannot possibly fathom. I mean, we have a hard enough time being kind to someone who cuts us off in traffic or who doesn't do something at work like we want or who you know, says something kind of mean because maybe they're having a bad day and we take it personally. I mean, we as human beings are always looking for reasons to mistreat others, to fight, to belittle, to mock, to dehumanize. I mean, it doesn't take much for us to do that. And we praise God that he is not like us 
where, I mean, if, if God said, okay, I'll be nice to you as long as you're nice to me, well, I wouldn't be recording this because we would be dead. We would all be dead. The earth would just be a husk of scorched earth because we are so cruel to God. Even if we have Christ, even if we have the Holy Spirit living within us, we are still so cruel and selfish to God. We still surround ourselves with idols, but God still treats us kindly. He treats us with love and patience and does not give us what we deserve. And so on one hand, you know, as we're thinking about this golden rule thing, we, we realize that while these words of Christ, they sound good and they sound moral and they sound ethical and they sound like they would create a good society, and they would, they do, of course, because they're from God. I mean, God is the picture of how we should treat others. He is how we can live in peace. But Christ is not calling God's enemies to treat others how they want to be treated. And that's because they can't, because they, while they can do the actions, they can't do so out of the correct motivation. They can't please God by treating others kindly because they recognize how good God has been to them. So when others treat someone nicely, it's out of selfish motivations. It serves themselves. And as Christians, we don't have to live that way because we can treat others how we want to be treated because we recognize how good of a father God is to us and that he gives us good things. He doesn't deny us. He doesn't treat us based on who we are or where we live or how much we read our Bibles every day or how much money we give to church. God doesn't treat us like that. God treats us purely out of love because of who he is and not who we are. And so that's why Christ is calling us to turn that around and say, because you know how God treats you, because of what I've just said about how good God is, now you in turn treat others well, because you don't deserve good from God, but he gives it to you. Others don't deserve good from you, but give it to them anyway, not because you are a good person, because we are not good people. We all know that. But Christ isn't saying treat them nicely because you're a good person, or if you want to prove yourself to God, treat others nicely. That's not what Christ is saying, because Christ is not a moral teacher. Christ calls us to serve him, to glorify God. And so we serve Christ by remembering who God is, what he's done for us. And out of an overwhelming gratitude, out of an overwhelming sense and understanding of how depraved we are and how deep our sin runs and how in love we are with idols and how much of our day we waste on nonsense instead of giving it to God. And instead of pursuing good things, we pursue nonsense and foolishness. We love money. We love social media. We love the opinions of others. You know, we focus on so much useless things that we think will make us feel good. But despite that, despite God knowing every little sin that we do, everything that we are placing on Christ day after day, God still treats us well. He treats us with love. He doesn't remove our salvation. He doesn't remove the Holy Spirit from our lives. In fact, the more we're in sin, the more intensely the Holy Spirit comes after us, the more he is reminding us of sin, drawing us towards righteousness, maybe even disciplining us by letting us suffer and letting us feel the ache of our sin and letting us feel that emptiness of what it's like to not have God feel as present or as near to us. You know, God, he's good. He doesn't always give us what we want, but he will always give us what we need. I mean, that is the good God who who sent his son to die for us. I mean, how can we possibly realize 
how disgusting we are, how horrible our sin is, and how unworthy we are of his love. I mean, how can we read anything like in, you know, in Titus 3, 5, I love it because it says, he saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. How can we understand that about God and not treat others with kindness? How can we not reflect God's goodness and his patience and his mercy and his lack of requirements on us? You know, how, how can we love and worship a God who doesn't demand us to rise to a certain level before he will treat us kindly or before he will love us? How can we not then turn around and try to treat others the same way? You know, not out of our own goodness, not of our own motivation or because we're good people, but because we have the Holy Spirit within us. He is drawing us to love others, to treat them kindly, no matter what they look like, their gender, where they live, their age, whether or not they even look human. You know, how do we not treat others with the same mercy and love and protection and desire for good? Because that is how we want God to treat us. That is how we hope others will treat us, because we want others to model God's goodness to us. So in the end, when we're thinking about what is the therefore, therefore, when it comes to Matthew seven twelve, you know, why did Christ say, be kind to others? I think it's clear that our kindness doesn't come from who we are. It comes from our faith. It comes from a knowledge of who God is, what he sent Christ to do, and why we live every day pursuing Jesus Christ, trying to be more and more like him, trying to walk in line with who he is and less like the world. You know, Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So as we're trying to understand what role does kindness play in our lives? How do I be obedient to Christ when he says to be kind to others? How do I do it out of a good motivation? I think it all comes back to what Christ started off by saying, seek God first, because we don't be kind to others to prove ourselves to God. We are kind to others. We are able to be kind to others out of an overwhelming love of who God is, because the more we are looking at God, the more we're going to be like him, the more we're going to follow in the steps of our Savior. And so if we are spending every day focused on us, having our fun, worrying about the stresses of the world, why would we ever care to treat others the way God treats us because we aren't even paying attention to how God treats us. We're worried about this short, meaningless life instead of looking at the glories and the riches of Christ. But when we start off every day and when we make it our greatest desire to pursue Jesus, to be like him, to love what he loves, to hate what he hates, we're going to be kind. It's going to be a natural process. You know, it's going to be one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. You know, and I'll just close this off with a reminder of what the fruit of the Spirit is. We see it in Galatians 5, to 23. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So remember that the fruit of the Spirit is a singular thing. It is one deal. When we have the Spirit in our lives and every child of God has him. We, we all have the same Holy Spirit within us. He is going to develop all of these aspects within us. Some may come more naturally. Some may be painfully slow. But one of those things that the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life is going to produce is kindness. And we understand what this kindness is. 
and we understand why. Because everything about the fruit of the Spirit, everything about our walk with Christ boils down to one thing. And it's because of who God is and because of what he's done, I want these things. I want what he desires. I want to be the person that he calls me to be. Not in some kind of self-empowering, be who you're meant to be thing, but I want to be holy because God is holy. I want to be someone who loves righteousness because God loves righteousness. I want to be someone who loves justice because God loves justice. We want to love everything God loves, not to impress him, not to please him, not to be better people ourselves, but simply because we love God. So that is the episode on, I guess, interpreting kind of the golden rule and getting a true biblical understanding of what it means. I hope between this episode and the episode on just understanding therefore in the text, it's given you some good practice and some good insight into how verses that seem simple and straightforward aren't always that way. A lot of times the assumptions that we make simply because we've read a single verse can often be wrong and it can lead us astray. But this is why reading and understanding the Bible correctly is so important because it gives us such a bigger picture of God. And I really hope that at the end of this, you know, you started off by thinking of the golden rule and saying, oh yeah, you know, be kind, be, be patient with others. And I hope that you've ended it by just having an amazing picture of our God and wanting to be kind to others because you realize that we deserve nothing, but God gives us everything. And how can we not then love others as he calls us to? So I hope this episode has been of value to you. I hope it has been encouraging and I hope it's been challenging. I hope that you find yourself drawn towards God's word more than anything, wanting to dig in, wanting to see other therefores in the text and and understand more of what God is truly saying rather than, you know, describing a single verse, trying to figure out what it says there. So I hope that your Bible reading will be more enriching, that it will draw you closer to Christ. Remember that if you enjoy episodes like this, if you enjoy my blog, uh, you can support me every month on Patreon. And the link for that will be down in the show notes. You can do so for as little as $1 a month. It helps me cover the costs of my website and this podcast. And it also just helps me to earn a little bit of money uh, to to get into the bank account there. Um, Any scripture that I used will be down in the show notes. I will try to post the titles of the podcast episodes I referenced and any articles that I mentioned. So with all that being said, I hope that this episode and this ministry will help you keep moving onward in your faith toward maturity in Christ.